you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Matthew chapter 2. For this Christmas Sunday, I've chosen a familiar passage for this time of year, uh, the visit of the Magi, the wise men that came uh, to Jerusalem from the east to find and worship Jesus. Um, I'm going to read the text in just a moment. We're going to take verses 1 through 12. Uh, before I do that, I just want to give you a little roadmap for where we're going to go um, starting uh, the first of the year. So next Sunday, we'll be in Proverbs uh, 3 uh, for just a New Year's message. Uh, it's going to just be on the theme of how we find wellness in our soul as, uh, as believers and God's roadmap uh, for finding Wellness um, on the inside. So I guess we could call that a kind of a New Year's theme. Um, after that, so January 8th, we're going to start a five-part series um, just focused on the gospel. We're going to do that for, for five weeks before we get back into the gospel of Luke. So Lord willing, gospel of Luke returns the, the last Sunday of February. But we're going to take the, the beginning of the year, um, all of January plus some, uh, to talk about the gospel. Okay, I'm really excited for that. So that's, that's where we're headed. Today we're going to be in Matthew uh, 2. Let's read the text, and um, then we're going to talk about worship. And I'm, I'm just guessing, um, if you came here um, expecting a Christmas message, you didn't expect that it was going to be on the subject of worship. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. That's what we're going to do today, is learn about worship from um, these first worshipers of Jesus. Okay, Let's stand in honor of God and his word. This is what we find. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King uh, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Lord, we, um, we give you our hearts. Receive us, even in our broken and in some cases, uh, just indifferent and cold condition. We confess our emptiness, but our eyes are on you to learn uh, more about your wonderful son and what it actually means to worship him. 
And we pray in his lovely name, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, please be seated. There are lots of ways that we could um, approach this text. We could approach it uh, historically and just ask questions like, hey, who are these guys? Like, how many, and how many of them were there? And where exactly are they from? And what did they know? And what was this star? And all those kind of things. And we're not going to do that. We could approach it um, biblically and say, how does this story foreshadow the, the whole story of the Bible? Especially, how does it foreshadow the way that Jesus will largely be rejected by Jerusalem? And it's the Gentiles that will gather around him these wise men being the first of those Gentiles because we see that pattern in Jesus' ministry and then we see that pattern in Paul's ministry. And we're not gonna do that either. We're gonna approach the text devotionally and say, what can we learn about worship from these first worshipers of Jesus? They are presented to us as the first worshipers of Jesus. Not the first worshipers in the Bible, not the first people to worship God, the first ones to gather around and worship Jesus. And um, just, just think with me about this moment of how worship, even, even for those of you who have been going to worship services for your whole life, how worship can still be a very difficult and confusing thing to get a handle on. You know, is worship just the music time during the service? Is that when we're worshiping, when we're singing, and then there's all this other stuff, and what is, what is that? And even when we're singing, even when we were singing just now, how do we really know that worship is taking place? Is it just the, the, the vocalization of the words along with music? Is, is that worship, or is it guaranteed that worship will be happening if we participate in that? Is worship a, a good feeling that I have on the inside when I'm singing? We may have been around worship for a long time and still really not know what it means. So we're just going to learn a few simple things from these first worshipers and the Magi. And the hope is that what we learn will result in a, a more frequent and a more fervent worship of Jesus in, in my life and in yours, okay? So let's, let's just start with a, a very simple working definition of what worship is based on the root of the word. Worship is a declaration of God's worthiness. Worship is a declaration of God's worthiness. We're saying to God in our worship, you are worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of my time? Worthy of my mind? Worthy of my effort and my money? Worthy of my body? Worthy of my life? God, you are completely Worthy worship is the declaration of God's worthiness. And that declaration can happen in all kinds of different 
ways. It can happen by our, our body posture. Like a bowing down, that can be one way that we show worship. Giving him something, like opening up our, our bank account and our treasures, like these guys did, can be a, a form of that declaration. God, you're more worthy than whatever else I could have spent this money on. All these things that I would love to buy, you're more worthy than those things that I would love to have. So we can give him things. We, it happens, worship can happen by giving him more and more of our mind. Giving, also giving our song to him, praising his name with our voice. We can declare his worthiness by becoming supplicants before him and pleading with him for things. That's called praying. All those things can be acts of worship, ways of showing him how worthy that he is, okay? Hopefully that gives us just a baseline understanding of what we mean when we talk about worship. Worship is the declaration of God's worthiness, and it can happen in all kinds of different ways, right? Okay, now let's learn from these first worshipers, and we'll just take this in three steps. Notice three things about what we see in them, okay? Here's, here's the first one. Looking at these magi, these wise men that came from the east and how they're worshiping, and what do we see? First of all, we see that they came for the purpose of worship. That was their purpose in coming, to find the boy. We have come to worship him. That's verse two. That's what they told Herod. We have come to worship. What do we want to say about that? One thing that we want to say is that they didn't come before him for any lesser reasons. They didn't come before Jesus for any lesser reasons than worship. You know, people might seek an audience with a king for all kinds of reasons. Because they want a favor from the king. Or they just want to cozy up to power. Or they're seeking justice. Or they, they want to gain influence. There's all kinds of reasons why you might go to a powerful person. Think about the Wizard of Oz. You know, there's a really interesting parallel between the Wizard of Oz and this story. Think about it. They sought out a powerful person and what led them to the powerful person? They followed something to get there. Something bright and glowing and yellow. They followed the yellow brick road all the way until they found him. And, but what was their purpose in going? Well, someone wanted a brain. Someone wanted a heart. And someone wanted courage. And someone just wanted to get home. They went to get something from him. All we're saying is that the Magi came to worship. In other words, they didn't go to Jesus to get something from him. They went to give something to him. They came to give him what his high position deserves, what his high position was owed. And when we worship, we come before God to give him what his high position deserves, what he is owed by virtue 
of his high, exalted position. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. In worship, we declare in many and varied ways, God, you deserve this. By virtue of who you are, you deserve all of this. By virtue of your beauty and your holiness and your steadfast love, and he's so patient with me and with you. He is long-suffering and he is merciful and gracious, holy and right in all of his ways, and we're telling him in worship, you are worthy of all of me. You made me. Now receive back my worship. Why do you come here? Why are you here this morning? Why would anyone get up at this hour on this day of all days and come here? Did you come to get something? What do you have your sights set on when you come into this room on Sunday, when you come to this gathering on Sunday? There's all kinds of reasons why people might come to a worship service. You might have social goals. You come because you want to see somebody or you want to be noticed by someone. We might have personal goals when we come here. Some may just come because they want their kids to come. They think, if I go, then my kids will go or they'll have to go. Your, your personal goal might be different. You might come because you want to feel something and you want to experience something. Maybe you want to come and have a feeling of comfort or a feeling of excitement or a feeling of nearness to God. I'm not saying that goals like that are wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to come wanting to get a feeling like that. I often want that. And God is so generous that even when we come intent on giving to him, even when we come intent on giving to him, we always find that we are the net gainer in the transaction because he pours into us all this joy as we seek him and give him all our attention. We get back many, 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 many times over because God is so generous. That's the byproduct of worship. So we might come with social goals. We might come with personal goals. If we're really honest, some of us might come with business goals. We come because we want to make contacts and we think it's going to grow our business being part of a church. Hey, get to know people, extend my network. All of those are related, what are we saying? All of those are related to getting something. We're trying to clear away the confusion and the wrong notions today about what worship is by observing these first guys to worship. They came to give something. They came to offer something. One of the things that that means is that it should be very rare or impossible for us to ever leave a worship service disappointed. If we don't come hoping to get, but rather come with our heart set on giving something to God, think about it. That's something we should always be able to do no matter what the so-called quality of the worship service is. 
Now, that's really difficult for us to do. That's a discipline. We're not used to doing that. We're used to having the quality of the service determine our ability to worship. I'm in that boat along with you. And that cycle is going to continue as as long as we're set on attending worship to get something. But if we come intent on giving something, then we've arrived at a true understanding of worship. Ten years, ten years ago, this past March, so March of 2012, I attended the funeral for Howard Hendricks um, in Dallas. We were living in Dallas at the time. Howard Hendricks, who taught for over 50 years at Dallas Seminary, who not only taught generations of seminary students how to study the Bible, but has taught many of you how to study the Bible by extension, either through his books or through someone you know that studied under Dr. Hendricks. At his funeral, I I heard one of the best eulogies that I will probably ever hear in my life. Dr. Hendricks' son got up and talked about his dad. You know, that starts tugging at your heart right away. And you see his son stand up and start talking about his dad. One of the things that he said about his dad, he said, dad would come home from church with, every week with all of these scribbles and all of these notes from the sermon. And he said, that was so confusing for me because number one, my dad's a seminary prophet. Doesn't he already know everything? Like, what could this person be saying that he doesn't already know? He's writing down. Like, how could that happen? But the other thing is that sometimes dad would come home and say he felt like the preacher completely missed it, like went the total wrong way with the text. Some would say, then why did you write all that stuff down? Like, if, if he totally missed it, what could you possibly want to write down about that? And his response was so instructive. He said, son, said something like this. Son, God gets my mind during that time. It doesn't matter if the preacher's doing a great job with the text or a horrible job. I'm in the text to see all the beauty that's there during that time, regardless of the kind of job that this messenger does with it. So instructive for us. That that experience, that he had matured enough, even as that kind of a person with all that knowledge, he was mature enough to know that my worship today is not going to depend on what someone else does. It's my time seeking God, and God is going to get my mind during that time, no matter what. That's a discipline. That's really, 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 really hard. But that is the perspective that we're after, to let the worthiness of God control our attitudes and our experience of worship, not the ability or the performance of the leaders. If we go home not feeling like we've worshiped, it's never someone else's fault. Wholly dependent on our mindset going in. I'm here to give something to God. No one's gonna stop me from doing that today. Okay, come for the purpose of worship. Come for the purpose of giving something to God. That's the first thing we see in them. Second thing that we see in them is that they came prepared. They came prepared for worship. We'll move through this point pretty quickly. All I want to point out here is that there's evidence that they gave some forethought to their worship. They really thought about who they were going to encounter. They knew that they were coming before the king. And so they prepared their gifts accordingly. 
And on this particular point, the question that I want to set before us is, do we give forethought to our worship and to who we will be encountering? The great King Jesus. And just as our first point requires us to make a a paradigm shift from coming in order to get something, changing to coming in order to give something, there's a paradigm shift that's required with this second point as well, from thinking about going to church as an encounter with people to understanding a worship service as an encounter, not with people, but with God. He's the one that we're listening to. Like, his word is the word that's being listened to. We're praying to him. We're talking to God. He's listening to us. He's talking to us. We're listening to him. This is an encounter with God, and the question is, have we prepared for it? Well, how should a Christian prepare for worship? What do I want you to do? do? What am I going to suggest? Well, we could think about things like getting our gift ready and offering a tithe, those nuts and bolts kind of things. That's what the Magi did. But I think the, the greater testimony of the scriptures is that what God really desires to receive from us is our heart, a lowly spirit. That when we come before him, we have prepared our spirit to encounter him. that we bring with us the mindset of one who's in need of mercy. The mindset of one who is in need of conviction and correction and repentance. That we not come here with iron bars on our heart, really sure that we're right. And that it's everyone else in the room who really needs a word from God. We should, every, at least every Saturday evening as we prepare to come here, turn over the soil of our heart. Say, God, I'm preparing my heart, making myself low before you to receive from you whatever I need to hear in this encounter. Let down our defenses. Let go of our justifications. Say, God, I am prepared for you to correct me wherever I need to be corrected. I'm turning over the soil of my heart. It's hard. It's a crust that's formed over it during the week. I'm sticking the spade right in there, and I'm turning it over. I'm preparing my spirit to come before you. And then come expectantly. Come expecting God to honor that preparation and speak to you and correct you. They offered their treasure. We offer our hearts. You're a good enough Bible student to know that's what God really wants, not your money. It's your heart. And I wonder how much more meaningful worship will be to you if you take the time to prepare. Come for the purpose of worship. Come here prepared for who you'll encounter in worship. We see that in, see that in the Magi, both of those things. 
This is the third thing we see. This is really simple, but as we just roll through the story, they came for the purpose of worship. They came prepared. And then we see that they actually offered their worship. That's verse 11. They saw the child and they fell down and worshiped him. Put yourself in their position. Think about how easy it would have been for them to answer the question, did you worship today? If you would have approached them afterwards and say, hey, guys, did you worship today? Think about how easy it would have been for them to say, yes, yes, we did. We saw the child and we offered our gifts. We fell down before him. We gave him what we came to give him. Yes, absolutely, we worshiped today. It's probably not, nowhere near that easy for us. Someone asked you on your way out the door, did you worship today? Would you have to think about it for a while? Would you even really know what to say? If we come here and spend the hour here, have we worshiped? Or did we just spend an hour here? How do we know if worship has taken place? I'm really interested in the answer to that question. I think there's more than one way to answer that question, but since we're here in in this text, let's just take the very simple template that's offered to us here for trying to understand if worship has taken place. Two parts. They saw the child and they made the appropriate response. They, They saw him. That's verse 11. They saw the child with Mary and then they responded. They fell down. They offered their gifts. And that's the pattern that I want to commend to you on the basis of this text. That when you come to a worship service, you come hoping to see Jesus and offer him the appropriate response. That's what I'm suggesting is the way you can answer the question, did I worship today? Did I see Jesus and did I offer him the appropriate response, having seen him? Now, a few minutes ago, I took myself and every other preacher off the hook a little bit by saying, hey, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what, I, what I do up here. You should be able to worship 100% good without any, the total failure on my part and you should be all good. Doesn't matter what I do, it's all on you. Okay, I took myself off the hook a little bit. I'm gonna put myself back on the hook and all other preachers back on the hook a little bit and say, it is our job and it is our privilege every week to present Jesus to you. That's the primary goal of the preacher. Show the congregation Jesus. Exalt him. Lift him up before everyone. Not yourself and nothing else and no one else. Put Jesus on display for people. There's a wonderful Presbyterian church in Memphis, Tennessee, Second Presbyterian. Beautiful building. Got a pulpit up front, much like this one. The only difference is that there's a little plaque on this side of the pulpit that only the preacher can see. It's only visible to the person speaking. It's the words of John 12, 21. You know what John 12, 21 says? 
Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's the triumphal entry passage where the Greeks come and they're interested in seeing Jesus and they go to Andrew and Philip. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's the perfect message for anyone in this position to have in front of them the whole time. That is the goal. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Elevate Jesus. Exalt Jesus for people. Lift him up so that we can see him. That's my job. Put him on display for you. His patience, his holiness, his compassion, his teaching, his humility, his fidelity, his fortitude, his atonement, his resurrection, all those things and more. It's my job to put Jesus on display. By the way, we don't have to be in the New Testament for that to happen. Putting Jesus on display can happen whether we're in the New Testament or whether we're back in the Old Testament because the whole Old Testament points forward to him. This huge need of people, huge failure, all the kings and all the people to be faithful and waiting for the faithful one. You see, all these wonderful types of Christ, the mediators, the prophets and the priests, We can do that in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Come looking for and expecting to see some excellency in Jesus, to enjoy it and be satisfied in it, and then part two, make the appropriate response. So am I worshiping? I'm coming to see Jesus. Did I get to see him? Did I see him today? What was required of me in response? What is he telling me to do? And it'll vary depending on what passage we're in, depending on what text we're in, the response is gonna vary. He may require something of you that you find very easy to do. Or he may require something of you that's excruciating and feels like a death to you. He may require of you the costliest thing you could possibly imagine giving up. He may require of you the thing that you would never give up, and it's his right to do that. He is worthy. And it is the substance of what he means when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And that's the last thing that we'll say about worship today is that worship of Jesus from the very beginning, from the very first worshipers, right up till today, to you in your seat right now, worship has always been costly. They brought gold. And they gave it to him. Gold. If you want to know if you're worshiping Jesus, a really, really good question to ask yourself is, does this feel costly to me? Am I giving up for him something that I feel the sting of losing? 
Our salvation is not costly for us. Our worship is. We leave a little lighter in the pockets than when we came. If your worship of Jesus does not feel costly to you, you may just be spending an hour with a lot of other people on a Sunday morning. So be ready. Be ready for these encounters. Come prepared. Come prepared to give and come prepared to give something very costly, the costliest thing that you have because he is worthy and we aspire to worship him. Amen. Father, we confess our our half-hearted attempts at worship. We thank you that you're so gracious that even when our attempts are half-hearted, you receive us anyway, and you even provide this tremendous blessing to us. We thank you that you're patient with us, that you allow us to go through a process of understanding what worship really is that we can have false notions cleared away and really get down to the bottom of things and understand that you desire our heart and desire obedience. Those things feel so costly, but you fill us up with all of this joy that comes from knowing and following Jesus Christ. And we are always, always, always the net gainer. That's amazing. We love you. 